Welcome to WFUV's What's What. It's Tuesday, July 19th. What's What is a daily podcast that explores current events, culture, news, and hot topic issues in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. And includes features and interviews exclusively from WFUV. I'm Nicoletta Papavasilakis. And I'm David Escobar. Here's what's happening today. There's been some record-breaking heat waves around the world, and temperatures in New York City are on the rise today, too. Yeah, David, temperatures in Britain just surpassed 40 degrees Celsius for the first time ever. For us Americans, that's 105 degrees Fahrenheit. It's been causing a lot of problems across Europe. The extreme heat is setting off wildfires from Portugal to the Balkans, and the AP is reporting hundreds of heat-related deaths across the continent. Here in New York, a heat advisory has been issued and will last until tomorrow night. Temperatures are going to creep up into the 90s, so city officials are telling New Yorkers to avoid the outdoors during peak sunshine hours. That's 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. But New York City is opening up its cooling centers today to help. You can use New York City's Cooling Center Finder to look for a place to beat the heat near you. That could be your local library or community center. Mayor Adams says there's another wave that's been hitting New York. Yeah, Nicoletta. He says that asylum seekers are pouring into the city. But it's not just a trend in New York. Shelters in Washington, D.C. have also been filling up. D.C.'s Mayor Muriel Bowser says it's because Arizona and Texas have been busing in people from the border to northeastern cities. But it gets a little more complicated in New York. The city has a right-to-shelter mandate, so by law, asylum seekers have the right to a bed in a city shelter. Mayor Adams says that 2,800 asylum seekers have made their way to New York in recent weeks. And the city's Department of Homeless Services is reporting that occupancy in shelters has increased 12 percent since March. Adams is asking for additional federal resources immediately. Otherwise, the city is going to struggle to provide services. Well, I never thought we'd see the day, but there might be a concert in space. I didn't either, but yeah, the Chainsmokers are scheduled to perform in a pressurized capsule 20 miles above Earth. It might sound insane, but the event is being hosted by Worldview. It's one of the new space tourism companies that have been popping up. They'll become the first artists ever to perform in space and are set for takeoff in 2024. But ticket prices are also going to be out of this world. Space trips to see the chain smokers will run guests at least 50 grand. Today marks the 50th anniversary of Don McLean's American Pie. Something touched me deep inside the day the music died. Yeah, and to celebrate, Paramount Plus is releasing a new documentary about the song. It's called The Day the Music Died. The documentary travels across America and explores the impact that the song had on the nation. The New Rochelle native wrote American Pie at a time when social changes and political movements were rocking America in the 70s. Many artists use their voices to share a message. For Pennsylvania-based jazz musician Paul Winter, that message is about embracing all life on Earth as one big family. WFUV's Courtney Burkseeker says it all started with whale songs. Paul Winter had never heard whale songs before, but he went to a lecture by biologist Dr. Roger Payne in 1968, where Payne played his recordings of humpback whales. Winter says that night he was fascinated listening to the whales communicate. 
it was this double revelation that just astounded me, that they moved me musically. I've often said it was sort of like the first time I heard Charlie Parker play saxophone. And then the intelligence that they must have behind these songs is extraordinary. Winter had started listening to Sounds of Wildlife in new ways. He says he once went howling with wolves in Minnesota. He would call out into the night, and one wolf would respond. Then three, then packs of wolves. He says listening to them made him want to make music about it. For me, it was a, a sense of a kind of deep peace inside. So from that, I, I wanted to create um, a piece about the more gentle side of these creatures. Sounds of Wildlife became mainstays in Winter's jazz compositions. One of his albums is called Whales Alive. He recorded it with keyboardist Paul Haley in 1987. It uses voices of humpbacks along with instruments. Winter's saxophone riffs mimic the whales. It's like Winter and Haley are performing with them. Winter's composition sort of became a new genre called earth music. But Winter says it's more about why you make earth music than what's in the songs. It's from an aspiration to embrace and celebrate the creatures and the cultures of the whole earth. It's really focused on celebrating our home. Winter's music has actually been recognized by environmental groups and even the UN for bringing attention to endangered species and other environmental protection efforts. Paul Winter's band has an artist residency at the Cathedral of St. John the Divine in New York City. In the church, they perform concerts in celebration of each summer and winter solstice. They also perform a Catholic mass called Misa Gaia, which means Earth Mass. Here's Winter and a chorus performing a common Catholic text called the Kyrie, but this version has a voice of an Alaskan tundra wolf. The wolf actually starts the song, and the other musicians join in. Winter says the Mass is meant to reflect how sacred all living things are. He says he hopes his listeners feel a deeper connection to Earth when they hear his music, like he did when he first heard those whale songs. That was WFEV's Courtney Bergseeger talking about Paul Winter's Earth music. Now we turn to the world of sports with WFEV's Mike Calamari. So Mike, what's the latest on the All-Star break festivities in L.A.? Well, David, the All-Star break kicked off with the Home Run Derby last night the competition between eight of the best home run hitters across the major leagues. 42-year-old Albert Pujols was the surprise, winning his first-round matchup against number one seed Kyle Schwarber. However, Pujols would lose in round two against Derby winner Juan Soto. A major upset took place in round two, when rookie Julio Rodriguez hit 32 home runs to take down reigning two-time champion Pete Alonso. But, Soto would beat Rodriguez in the championship to take home the $1 million prize. I know the Yankees and Mets have a lot of all-star picks this year. What can we expect in the all-star game tonight? For the 92nd time, the American League and National League will square off in the Midsummer Classic, and this time it's in Dodger Stadium for the first time since 1980. The New York Yankees will have six players in the game, headlined by Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, and Garrett Cole. 
In addition to those stars, Yankees Clay Holmes, Nestor Cortez, and Jose Trevino will all make their first All-Star appearance. From Queens, Starling Marte, Pete Alonso, and Jeff McNeil will play for the National League. In other baseball news, Rachel Robinson, widow of Jackie Robinson, turns 100 today on July 19th. Robinson graduated from NYU in 1961 and is the founder of the Jackie Robinson Foundation that provides scholarships for college students. It is a somber day in Queens as longtime Mets Spanish broadcaster Juan Alicia passes away at age 85. Alicia called his first game in 1982 and served as Mets broadcaster up until 2019. Alicia first worked in scouting for the Mets, joined the club during their immaculate 1969 postseason run. And that will do it for the sports today. With WFUV Sports, I'm Mike Calamari. Thanks, Mike. New York City is best known for its skyscrapers and city streets, but not really for its natural spaces. However, Jamaica Bay, located in Queens and Brooklyn, provides the city with beaches, marshes, and lots of natural landscape. The Jamaica Bay Rockaway Park Conservancy hosted their Jamaica Bay Festival that celebrates the bay. WFUV's Isabel Danzis has more. Rockaway Beach is a pretty common summer destination for New Yorkers who flock to lounge on the sand or take a dip in the ocean. This month, the Jamaica Bay Rockaway Park Conservancy held their Jamaica Bay Festival to show New Yorkers there's more to this landscape than just the beach. The day-long festival consisted of events ranging from kayaking and paddleboarding to water safety classes. The festival happened in conjunction with the Waterfront Alliance's City of Water Day, which is a day dedicated to educating people about the effects of climate change and rising sea levels. For Elizabeth Storr, a program manager at Jamaica Bay Rockaway Park Conservancy, a big part of the festival was showing people new parts of the bay. And throughout the day, we have um, events throughout the Jamaica Bay area. We are excited about really promoting equitable access to Jamaica Bay through opportunities for recreation, stewardship, and education. Preserving natural spaces in New York City is really important to the success of the entire city. Climate change and rising sea levels are a threat to the Jamaica Bay ecosystem. Last week, New York City released updated stormwater flood maps. The maps show that Jamaica Bay is at serious risk of flooding and sea level rise over the next few years. Losing the Jamaica Bay ecosystem could cause problems throughout New York City. That's according to the city's updated watershed protection plan. So I think it's really important to preserve natural areas in the city because places like Jamaica Bay, the Rockaway Peninsula, the natural areas that are all around the bay provide incredible ecosystem services. That was Terry Carta, the executive director of Jamaica Bay Rockaway Park Conservancy. That's right. They create a more resilient coastline and help us deal with climate change and rising sea level. They, you know, provide some cooling to communities um, and mitigate heat island effect and also help to capture stormwater that's running off from, you know, developed areas of our city. The hope is that the Jamaica Bay Festival helps to connect New Yorkers with the natural resources around them. Hopefully, people will get more involved in the bay and what it has to offer. For Carta, that was a huge goal for the festival. The Jamaica Bay Festival and City of Water Day as a whole are, are vitally important for connecting people with the natural resources that are that are theirs, right? These are public parks, public beaches, um, natural areas that belong to all of us as New Yorkers. And we want to help people better connect with these resources that are in their backyards and in, in our city. Similar to Carta, Storr says that one of the main goals of the festival 
was to increase access to the bay. There are so many schools and communities that really could use this as a learning tool about water, about climate change, about sea level rise. So we really want to improve that access so that we also improve people that protect Jamaica Bay. The Jamaica Bay Festival happened all over the Jamaica Bay and Rockaway Park area on July 16th. I'm Isabel Danzis, WFUV News. That was Cityscape host Isabel Danzis talking about the Jamaica Bay Festival and the importance of preserving the environment. Cityscape aims to show off the people, vibe, energy, and culture of New York City. And that's our show for today. I'm Nicoletta Papavasilakis. And I'm David Escobar. Check back with us tomorrow at 3 o'clock for more news, music, culture, and sports. And tell your friends so they can find WFUV's What's What at WFUVnews.org and wherever you get your podcasts.